0: And that's a lot. Good to see you folks here tonight. Welcome. Take your liberty, brother. And when it comes time to call you can call us or whatever. And so just take your liberty in Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Is this uh, microphone <clears throat> working? Doesn't matter. I suppose it's working. Is it working? Okay. I don't mind. And they can't see my terrible face. Well, it's nice to see all of you. I don't know all of you, obviously, but I've met some of you in the last few days, and some of you I have no idea who you are. Sorry, but I'm sure you're wonderful people. I'm hoping. And uh, I I don't know if the brother mentioned, but there's going to be meetings tomorrow. At what time are the meetings? Ten a.m. 2 p.m., and this is very important, lunch. That's the reason I go to weddings, by the way. Uh, I always ask them, do they have coffee, and do they have nice sweets and cookies and stuff like that, and then I'll decide whether I go to a wedding. Um, <clears throat> so that's nice. That's a lot of meetings tomorrow, three meetings. So I'm looking forward to that, and please consider praying for those, even if you can't come pray that God will work. Okay, so before we pray, I'd just like to mention, you can open up your Bible to John chapter 14 verse 31. And um, I was just thinking, a few years back, several years back actually, I've been to England many times. I'm sure some of you have been to England. It's a very dead country. You go to South America or you go to India you go to up Africa and you find tribes that have never heard the name of Jesus. But in England, you often on the street, I go and play, uh, take a soccer ball and kick it with these young people, and then I ask them about Jesus, and the only thing they know about Jesus, these white little kids, is that he's a swear word. And they have no idea who Peter is, they have no idea about Genesis, they have no idea about anything from creation right through uh, Moses and the, pro- the patriarchs, the prophets, and uh, obviously the story of Jesus who was born, they just know that he's a swear word <laughs> there in England. But anyway, I I was once invited to come preach in England at a conference there, and then I had to go after that to the Netherlands, and after the Netherlands I had to go to America with my wife and kids. Uh, Always interesting kids on airports. Um, I won't say they're humbling, but they're something. And um, I remember going to the first conference that I preached in England, and and although you've got Peter Masters at at, uh, uh, Spurgeon's uh, church, and you've got various W. Vernon Higgins, different people who who preach the truth and and little house churches and stuff. Much of England, you have to travel far to get to a church where any truth is preached. And so it was wonderful to have people coming flying over from Wales and Ireland or driving from Wales, flying over from Ireland. The reason they said they came together is because there was a hunger among individuals for the word of God because it was so scarce in those lands. And then I went over to the Netherlands and it was a bit different there because they've got a Bible belt. I don't know if you know it, like America has a Bible belt uh, where everybody's drunk and they've been born again five times. The Netherlands have a Bible belt. Well, that's if you go from door to door. (laughs) Uh, But the Netherlands have a Bible belt. And in this Bible belt, mostly it is people who have been, um, they're not conservative in their clothes, dress, but they have been preached to the law continuously. And so they're in the old Lutheran church, the Dutch Reformed church. There's actually three sister churches, they call it. And they actually came together in one church at one stage in the Netherlands became a new church, one third of which is slightly evangelical. And the other two thirds, uh, you basically go to church. You only allow pastors in who have been to their seminars and their colleges, and they get taught continuously the law, the law, the law, the law. And so when people come in there, and they preach and they actually get to hear grace, they are very, very grateful for grace because it's something they're not used to. In America, you say to people that must be born again, and they, with the beer in the hand and the baby out of wedlock in the other arm, they say, Hallelujah! <laughs> I've been born again three times. In Netherlands, there's places where if you preach about being born again, People are weeping just at the thought because they've never been taught that before. They've only been taught the law. And so they're grateful for it because it's not cheap to them. They're not drowned in the gospel like much of Netherlands. Sorry, like much of America. And I remember over there, we went to a lot of different meetings. At 9 o'clock at night, we would start. And from 9 to 10, the young people filling up halls. Teenagers and in their 20s would fill up halls, and they would... In these halls, they would be weeping and praying before God for God to work for an hour before it came to 10 o'clock, and then I was allowed to preach. And I asked them, no, why don't you come together at 7 o'clock at night? And they looked at me as if I was absolutely mad. They said, but what? That's, that would be terrible. We wouldn't be able to have our family altar if we came together at 7 o'clock for meetings. Do they do that in other countries? <laughs> and it was quite interesting. Uh, there in that country to see people in their way seeking God. But then I came over to America, to the land of free grace, and I preached at a conference of about 300 people. And I remember at the airport before I came to that conference, I failed in the sense that I was irritated. I was tired, and I rem- I can't remember what I was irritated about, but I took it out of my wife a little. This was many years back. And I felt very bad. I thought, how can I preach at a conference and I've just been irritable towards my wife? I don't know if any of you men ever have that feeling. But in my case, I felt very bad. And I came to this conference and uh, we had a few meetings that I had to preach. And I remember there was a young man who came there. He was a late teenager, was about 18 years old. And this young man had not been at a conference for three years. He'd been going to drunken parties and he'd been doing evil things drugs and sleeping around and his family most of them were conservative but they'd been praying for 3 years for him to come to a conference and hear the gospel and he came to this conference but there was one little problem and that problem was that he didn't go to any of the meetings See, so yeah, we've got me, my dad's preaching, other people are preaching. And he, he stuck in the, he was very uh, clever. There were some girls in the, in the kitchen who were doing the cooking and he wanted to help them. And so he, he literally said that he testified later that the reason he was in the kitchen is he didn't want to hear the gospel. He said he was scared of the gospel after three years of parties. And so eventually it came to the very last message which I was preaching and he said to himself, well, you know what? I don't think they're going to preach the gospel at the very last message of a conference. They're over that. That's what you do at the beginning of a conference. And that, that's true. Many times you start, you get people saved, supposedly. That's the like, formula. And then you teach them how to grow. You don't teach them how to grow and then you get them saved at the end of the conference. I don't know if you've noticed that. And um, uh, some preachers, they start with the gospel, at least by the second message. And uh, I was sitting there, and I, I like with a broom, I don't, you know what a broom is in America? Uh, the, the, you do the ground with it? That's good, you know what, you very clever Americans. Anyway, I remember having, uh, I, I, spiritually speaking, I had this broom, because I was very afraid of God leading me too much. I, I'm a guy who really sticks to the word of God, and I'm very careful when I get peace about stuff, and when I feel led about stuff, because it can lead down wrong paths just as easily as it can be a blessing. And what I find about God is very interesting is even though I'm like that and I'm very careful before I'm led, God leads anyway. (laughs) And so I was at this conference and and it's coming to my last message and I've got it all prepared. And uh, something in me says, you've got to preach the gospel, hellfire and brimstone. And I'm like, no, God, this cannot be thee. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. People are going to think I'm very weird bringing them back to get saved after helping them crow. And um, at any rate, I, uh, I really struggled with this. And eventually I gave and said, okay, God, it might be you and I'm going to preach the gospel. So I stood up there and there was this young guy, hadn't been in church for three years, whose parents were weeping and praying for him for three years. He sat down, totally convinced he wouldn't hear a gospel message. And in that meeting, he met with God. And there were parents who had wept for three years, who had a new child, He's getting married this year, years later. And I appreciate that. It's funny how the Lord leads. No matter whatever topic you preach on, whether you preach in Galatians against trying to be perfected by the law, or you preach in Corinthians against the um, false manifestations and experiences and, and talents that you think are making you spiritual and grow, whatever things you preach against, it's... If you leave it there, you've got a problem. The object of preaching against things is to bring you back to Jesus Christ. It has to be Christ-centered. And so tonight, I'm not going to preach the gospel message, but you can hear the gospel in it. Tomorrow morning, I believe, unless God changes everything, as he sometimes does, even though I've got that broom ready. um, I'm going to preach the gospel very clearly, I believe, by God's grace, if he gives me grace. But tonight, I'd like to preach on this topic, which, interestingly, I was planning to preach here before I came here, and then I heard a lot of people talking about it anyway, so I hope they don't think I am preaching at them or anything else. I was going to preach this anyway. But the topic is honor thy father and thy mother. Honor thy father and thy mother. And before we read John 14 verse 31, before we read John 14 verse 31, let's go over to prayer. Father, I... I thank you for my dear daddy that used to be a druggie before Jesus saved him. I thank you that he sang me to sleep, that he taught me the Bible, that he spanked me. And Father, that he was a good daddy and that he prayed and miracles happened and he taught me the gospel. But Father, at the same time, I think of the many people out there that I've met in orphanages and and people yeah would have met in orphanages and in schools that don't have a daddy and don't have a mommy. I think of Brandon, my friend in Wisconsin, dear father, thou knowest who, when his daddy died, he didn't even know who his daddy was. Father, this is a world of broken families, and even saying the words, honor thy father and thy mother, doesn't make sense to most young people, because they don't have a father and a mother. So I ask you for grace and wisdom, that you would, in this broken, horrible Filthy world, that we would have some some understanding of this topic and what is so dear to your heart in the scriptures in Jesus Christ's name, Amen. So tonight we're going to look at honor thy father and thy mother. And just as a spoiler alert, um, this is very clearly going to be not just for little children, but for adults as well. We'll see very soon, according to the scriptures itself. But when I think of Jesus Christ and I think of this topic. And Jesus is our supreme example, Jesus Christ and this topic. And there's two things that spring to mind right off the bat. And the first is how Jesus honored his Father in heaven. And we read there, I ask you to open up the Bible if, uh, uh, to it, but it was John 14 verse 31. It says his words, "But that the world but that the world may know that I love the Father." And as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. And and what this portion of Scripture is saying, and it's so beautiful, is that Jesus Christ showed the world his love for his Father by obeying his Father. That was the proof. (laughs) The world knows I love my Father because I obey him. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 8 shows us the extent of that obedience. And it says, And being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus showed the world how he uh, loved his father by obeying him unto death. But another thing that amazes me about Jesus is just the way he honored his earthly parents. We know at the age of 12, he was taken up to the temple. You all know the story of where he got lost afterwards, uh, or he was left behind, and (laughs) Uh, basically speaking, uh, after three days, his parents find him in the temple and they asked him what he was doing. And a, s- a summary of the story is he said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. And some people will say, well, that sounds like someone is not honoring his earthly parents. He's doing what he wants. But I love what is written afterwards in Luke chapter two, verse 51, where clearly it states and he, that's Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and listen to these words. He was subject unto them. In other words, Jesus Christ as a little 12-year-old child came under the authority of his earthly parents. He submitted himself unto them. Now don't worry, I'm going to get practical later when it comes to weird parents because there are a lot of weird parents out there. I'm sure some of you have weird parents somewhere out in the world. John 19 verse 26, though, we see, Jesus on the cross, and even at the end, not just as a young child, but at the end, he's honoring his mother, and we all know the story. Now, Mary had other children. Joseph was probably dead. Uh, but, yeah, Jesus gave her a spiritual saved child to look after her. And we read there in uh, John nineteen twenty-six, And Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved. And he said unto his mother, Behold thy son, and then he said unto the, uh, John, "Behold, thy mother." Verse twenty-seven. Now we know an alternative history that even though the whole world, even though the whole world needed salvation and needed to know the gospel, John it seems stayed in Jerusalem until Mary died and looked after her. that he preached around there, he took this very seriously. It wasn't just Jesus on the cross saying, "Hey, you got a new mom. You got a new son." uh uh, isn't that wonderful now you can go off and do whatever you want literally this meant a lot practically and we find in the scripture that not only was jesus giving uh mary a son to look after there but he was literally practicing what he preached because in the bible and we find this in two portions of the new testament one of them being mark chapter 7 we read that jesus rejects religious adults and this is very interesting and he shows these people who would wear beautiful clothing and who would say long prayers, these Pharisees, and who, in, to all intents and purposes, would keep over 600 and something rules and rarely would be religious in many ways. They would fast, they would pray, and they would act it. He showed them that they were not children of God, that they were hypocrites. And the way that he showed them that they were hypocrites was because they were not honoring their parents as adults. You're on your way to hell, my friends, with nice long clothes because you're not honoring your parents. And remember, Jesus on the cross, he said, he has your son to look after his mother. And he said, these people, listen, you guys, <coughs> Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. And whosoever curses father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say <laughs> to his father and mother, if any man say to his father and mother, it is Corban that to say a gift I'm going to paraphrase here, he's free, you don't have to do aught for your father or mother and you make the word of God of none effect. And basically what was happening here, very simply, and I'm sure some of you know this, but basically what was happening is that as they got older and and their parents were, you know, like people in the nursing home or something like that and they were working hard for stuff, let's say they had a chair in the house and they had a table and they had a piano, they probably didn't have pianos in those days, as far as I know, they didn't have ties either, but But they had these different things, and when their parents needed it, they'd say, I've got a great idea. I'm going to dedicate this, it's Corbin, to the temple. So when I die, this goes to the temple. And when I live, I can use it. And if my daddy says, well, can't I have that chair? You know what I'm going to say? I dedicated it to the temple. (laughs) I'm so spiritual. I don't have to help you in your old age. And Jesus said, this proves that you are hypocrites. You know, what's interesting. The Bible says the, the fathers, the parents lay up for the children, not the children for the parents. You Notice that verse. That's not talking about parents having to give their children stuff in this life. That's talking about the fact that generally, I don't know if you've noticed this, parents die before children. And so they leave stuff. So it's a picture of what God does for us through death in giving us an inheritance. It is not a picture of what God says. In fact, there's only one person in the New Testament who demanded his inheritance, and that was the prodigal son. The prodigal son. And he was a pretty bad guy. Jesus says to the rest of us very clearly in two portions of the New Testament, listen to me. If you've got nice long robes and you sing nice songs and you do long prayers and you walk down the street and you don't do the stuff that the bad guys do, even though you're doing it in your heart, you're a hypocrite because you're not caring for your parents in their old age. And basically you're on your way to hell, no matter how religious you are. Jesus practiced what he preached. John 19, sorry, not John 19, Uh, Exodus 20 verse 12 in the Old Testament, we all know it, there in the Ten Commandments, it says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth, thy God, upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. You know, I've had some people come up to me and say, Roy, that's the Old Testament. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why it's wonderful that the, whole, the New Testament repeats the Old Testament. Ephesians 2, 6, verse 2 and 3 says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. That's, by the way, after Jesus died, after he rose again, and after he ascended to heaven. He said, Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, I've got a question before we go on. It's a simple question I'd like to ask every single one of us. And this question is as follows, I wonder how many children realize what a privilege it is just to have a father and a mother. I'd like to repeat that. I wonder how many children realize what a privilege it is just to have a father and a mother. I remember there's a country in South Africa called Namibia, and not in South Africa, in Southern Africa. It used to be Southwest Africa in the old days. And um, I've been there a few times. And I remember many years back, I went on a tour there, and we preached at many schools across this desert country. And (laughs) I came to this one school in Vintuk, and their biggest town is only about 100,000 people, I think, roundabout, and I came to this one school, and there were several hundred kids. There was a lot of other um, preachers with me and so on. But after I preached at that school, uh, they had to go to another school. And so I was left behind with these kids. And I remember I remember a few of them coming to me, and there was two things that struck me. This is a junior school. I don't know what that is in America. you got the six-year-olds to round about 12-year-olds, whatever that is in America. At any rate, a whole group of young children came to me afterwards, and they were weeping. They weren't going, wah, 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 having a tantrum. The little tears were falling down their faces and dripping on the ground. And remember they're sitting there in a circle, and they said to me, Roy, please pray for us. And they talked about these demons that would come at them at nighttime and just attack them and start to strangle them and do evil things with them. And I remember thinking to myself, what right is Satan to these precious little children? And that was the first thing that struck me. The second thing that struck me was uh, the president's grandchildren were there, and the future president's grandchild was there, and of them. And that's not much. I often preach to little princesses and princes uh, because you'll have these kings, and these kings have 20 wives, and the 20 wives have... Many children, and those children have many wives, and those many wives have many children. And so you're a princess even if you're a grandchild of the king. So I'll often be preaching in a school, and there's a little princess. But yeah, I was preaching to one of the grandchildren of the president. And they asked me, the the leadership of that school asked me, can you go and speak to this child in a room because he's really struggling. And so I sat down with them, and the story goes, this child, even though he was the president's grandchild, uh, he was thrown out by his parents. They didn't want him. And so his aunt, who was a horrible person, took him into their house and at least fed him. And so I had this little child in front of me, about seven years old. And it was literally like a little cabbage. And I remember this child sitting opposite me and I started to speak to this child. And the more I spoke to this child, the more I realized this child does not want a president as a grandfather. This child longs. To have what I had growing up, a father and a mother. And in South Africa, there was a lawyer. I used to go, he used to own a whole street. He was on radio too. He owned a whole street and he had a little prophet's chamber. And my dad used to go there and I used to go to him. And he had a friend and he died of cancer later. But this friend, I wanted to get post box one Pretoria. And the reason that he wanted post box one Pretoria is that across South Africa, Little children, and I think they do this in America too, they wrote letters to Father Christmas, and they would write to Father Christmas, Post Box 1, North Pole, and these thousands of letters would come in, but nowadays they put them together and they make a big thing of it with the media, but in the old days, even in the 90s and before that, they used to send it. The post office people didn't know what to do with these letters, and they thought, what must we do with these letters? So they stuffed them again and again into Post Box 1, Pretoria, which is our capital city because they didn't know where the North Pole was at any rate so this guy waited and the owner of that post box went into jail and so he was on the waiting list he'd waited a few years and amazingly he got this post box and he started at Christmas time just before that to get these thousands of letters and he said about 50 percent of these letters were rather humorous they would be father Christmas could I please have this or could I have that Uh, a toy or a game or thing in life, but he said something that shocked him, and this is absolutely true. It's about fifty percent of those children writing in in their thousands to Father Christmas would write things like this. They would say, "Father Christmas, don't give me anything. I don't want any toys." I don't want any games. Father Christmas, I'm asking you one thing. Please give that my parents will love each other again. Please give that my daddy and my mommy or my daddy would come back. You know what just broke my heart about that is just thinking, little children with nowhere to turn. And they eventually turned to Father Christmas in their thousands. You know, I was at a town called Polokwane in South Africa, which is the headquarters of the ZCCs, which is a Zionist witch doctor, Christian church kind of thing. I, I don't want to go into that right now. But when I was there, there was this white old lady. She had a wrinkly face. She was in her 80s, and she was on a list of people we would visit to disciple and ask how they're doing and if they saved and if they're still reading their Bible, little things like that. And so I'd visit this lady, and she out, she brought a tray, and the tray had tea on it. And she had cookies. Oh, good good old lady. And she put it down and we started to eat that. And she looked at me and she said, you know, she'd never met me before. I want to tell you something. She said, my son was a reporter and he got a reasonably good salary and his wife was happy with him and they had lovely little children. So then my my son started to go out with the wrong friends and he started to drink and eventually he became a drunk and he left his wife. He lost his work. He had no money. And he was gone. And she looked at me, this old lady, like I say, I've never met before this time and never met again. She said, My little granddaughter, about seven years old, came into my house. And this granddaughter sat down there. And my granddaughter said to me, Granny, I don't believe in God anymore. And that granny, She said, but why don't you believe in God anymore? And that little child said, because Granny, I went to my room when my daddy left. And I went down on my knees. And I prayed to God and I said, God, bring my daddy back. And my daddy didn't come back. So I do not believe in God anymore. Let me ask that question again. I wonder how many children realize what a privilege it is just to have a father and a mother. Not a perfect father. Not one that never gets irritated. But just a father and mother that try. Though they fail at times. You know, in Ezekiel 22, verse 7, we read of the sin of Jerusalem. And we have a few sins that were compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was basically going to destroy Jerusalem for its sins. And, And one of the main sins that God pointed out there in Jerusalem, He said these words, Ezekiel 22, verse 7, In thee, In thee, in other words, Jerusalem, have they set light by father and mother. In other words, when it's set light, it means basically they've trifled, they've made it little. Mommy and daddy are a very little thing when it comes to me listening to what they're saying and who they are. And God destroyed them for this, among a few other things. Deuteronomy 27 verse 16 says, Cursed, cursed be he that setteth light by father or mother. If you make them a little thing, then God considers it a big thing. God does not take it lightly, those who have a father and mother who try and they do not honor them. Deuteronomy 20, verse 18 to 21. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if any man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened them will not hearken unto them. We see it, it progresses later. That this guy, this child becomes a drunkard, basically, it's extreme rebellion. Then you're supposed to take stones and stone him that he dies so they shall put away evil from among you and all israel shall year and fear proverbs 30 verse 17 says these words the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother the ravens of the valley shall pluck it out and the young eagles shall eat it 2 timothy 3 verse 1 to 2 talking about the end times by the way uh In the end times it says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then it gives a list of things that men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And then these words before unthankful and unholy, disobedient to parents. And I've often wondered looking at this thing and what is the difference? I mean, if you look through history, people were always disobedient to their parents. But what I've noticed in my little short life In many countries across the world, is that it seems that in those conservative homes, and I know sometimes conservative homes really aren't conservative, and the parents are all wonderful when you're there, and they're not wonderful when you're gone. I get that. But in homes where it seems, I've known people for 10 up to 20 years, I've been there many times, and the other children in the home talk of their parents and talk of how their parents, though not perfect, seek God. Though they fail, they try to teach them of Jesus. And in these homes, like never before, there's one or two or three children who rebel anyway. In the end days, like never before. Now, I went to public school. I'm sure some of you went to public school. I never had homeschooling. It was a very interesting experience. Everybody getting drunk on the weekends. I was a good Pharisee. I was unsaved, but I was trying to be good, (laughs) luckily. Uh, But I would have died and gone to hell at any point in my public schooling, even though my daddy was Keith Daniel, because I was unsaved. But I remember at public school they used to teach us about the rights that we have. We have the right to, like, um, we have the right to eat. And we have the right to clothing. We have the right to shelter. And we have the right. And then they'll teach us of the rights we have not to be emotionally abused. No teacher is allowed to spank you anymore. And your parents, ooh, if they emotionally abuse you by telling you that you're doing, and they got all this long list. And I started to realize as they taught millions of children these lies, they were not just teaching us that we have the right to eat and drink. <laughs> which actually we don't have the right to. They were teaching us that we have the right to undermine the authority of our parents. I remember once at a church of about 900 people that I preached at. The one pastor, they had several pastors there in South Africa. Um, I remember coming, I was staying in his house and he, they had a television. And uh, the kids were listening to these cartoons. So I sat there and I was wondering what they were listening to. And I noticed, and I've seen this a few times in different people's houses, that so often you have these cartoon characters and sometimes real-life children in in these things that they watch. And so many of them, the parents are stupid. They're dumb. And the kids are the heroes. And rude to their parents because their parents are absolutely uh, clueless with big eyes and squints. And that's literally what they listen to. And then they wonder why their children start being rude to them. Now, in conservative homes with no television, children can still be rude. (laughs) But uh, you're basically feeding them the devil's trash. I remember, or my mom told me once, this was quite funny. My kids, how many of your kids, who who has children here? I have four children. Uh, My wife was one of ten siblings. That's quite fun. But... My children sometimes have a tantrum. Have your children, stick up your hand if you've, your child has ever had a tantrum. Anybody who has not ever had a tantrum? Oh, that's amazing. I sometimes I remember I, my one child had a tantrum outside in the street. Got down on the on my, my son. He hardly ever has a tantrum, but this was quite a few years back, and he went back and he was going, wah, wah. And I thought, well, I know what to do, so I got down next to him, and I went, wah, wah. And my wife says, you mustn't do that. It's teaching him bad manners. So I said, okay, I'll stop that. But amazingly, he was lying in his back. And he looked up at me and he was like, I don't know this person. <laughs> and he didn't realize he'd been doing the same thing. <laughs> Every child has a tantrum now and then. But, you know, some children, they literally, I think in America, I see this a lot. They literally live on tantrums. It's not just that it happens sometimes and they get a good spanking. It's, it's that they live on it. And uh, my mother was once at, a, uh, I think it was a Walmart in America with my aunt, and there was this little child there, and this little child started to have a tantrum. She, uh, the child wanted, it was a boy, wanted a, a chocolate or something, and so the child was going, as my mother described it, <laughs> that, that didn't happen. <laughs> Anyway, I just know by the time, that time I would have, uh, my dad would have given me the fivefold ministry. (laughs) And uh, my mother was looking at this, and and the mother was ignoring this child. And eventually the mother looked around and, and looked down at this child and said, What's your problem? And that little child, without blinking an eyelid, looked up and said, You. And I don't know, but that's just a little bit more than occasional tantrums. That, that, that these children are living tantrums. I was once on an airplane. I was once on an airplane. I remember sitting there. They've got all these television screens, and you can't help seeing evil sometimes. And this little child was sitting next to me, and next to that child, I believe, was its mother. And it seems she, she, she might have been a Christian, or at least nominally Christian, because she said to that child, stop watching this, to turn it off. And the child looked up and said, little child, where's that in the Bible? So I, being Roy Daniel, I enjoyed this. I said, listen, it says in the Bible that you're supposed to honor your parents and obey them in all things. And that mother didn't seem too pleased with my help. But it's amazing. Children use the Bible to justify their disobedience to God. And you know, some children I've met, Quite a few times are very angry that their parents correct them, that their parents spank them. And obviously you can take this too far. There's people who, who beat up their children. That's wrong. But they don't realize, those who get just normal discipline and correction in life, that the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 24, He that spareth his rod, hateth his child. Your parents hate you. If they don't, sometimes, you know... Help you out. Now, I I, I want to tell you something. I knew something. I really knew from experience that my parents loved me, and the reason I knew it is because they spanked me. Um, uh, My mother, she used no, actually, my dad used his hand, and my mother had a had a shoe, and my granny had this wooden spoon. Now, all, all our family members, uncles, you name it, used to spank us. It was wonderful. Nowadays, if you spank your nephew or something, I'm going to take you to the police, social security, whatever. I'm like, you guys are weird. <laughs> anyway, so like I said, my dad ate his hair, my mother the shoe, my granny had this, uh, a, a, a few wooden spoons actually, and my grandfather, he had this, he had, uh, he had two things. He had a, a, a plastic pipe they used on donkeys, They called some book in South Africa that they used to whip. That was wonderful. But the worst was the weeping willow. Have you been hit by a weeping willow before? A vingert stalk in South Africa. You take all the leaves off and you say, a man does not cry. It was awesome. (laughs) And in red, I'm not going to go into that much, but I can tell you as a fact, according to Scripture, that my parents loved me because the Bible says you hate your child if you don't spank them, and they spank me big time. See, my dad, before my older brother was born, I remember, well, I was obviously not there. <laughs> but my dad told me that he he wept. And because my dad was a druggie before he got saved, and he remembered his dad being drunkard and his brother being a chain drinker. He said, I didn't want to populate hell. And so he wept. And he said, God, I don't want this child. He didn't say, God, let this child be born healthy and so on. He said, that's, that's a bonus. He said, just one thing. Don't let this child be born if it doesn't one day find God and follow God with all its heart. And he was weeping and, and he said, a tear fell on Isaiah 54 verse 13. Many parents love this verse. And all thy children shall be taught to the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. And you know, In Proverbs 31 How many of you know Proverbs 31? It's the the, the woman. I once sat down with an old woman. I thought I'd encourage this woman. I met her in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't even a doctor in this town in Africa. And I said, I want to tell you about this woman. And she got so crushed. She said, there's no such thing. I'm like, okay, sorry about that. But anyway, I was once at a camp conference, and I was reading Proverbs 31. And this is many years back, before I got married. And uh, probably about 15 years back, and I remember reading Proverbs 31, and I read of this woman and it's like amazing. this woman, she's just she's uh, industrious and she sees a field and she she goes and buys it and she has industry and she makes clothes for her family and she's faithful to her husband. and she's just to me that's wonderful. It's totally different to what the world <laughs> says where you have to be a beautiful model in the front of a, a, a cover or a career woman that's the head of a business else you're a failure in life. God looked down at this woman who was faithful to her husband, who was there for her children, and he said, she's worth more than rubies. And so my male pride, this literally happened, came up in me. I want to be honest. And I started to think, now where in the Bible does it talk of a man that's worth more than rubies? And the only one I could think of was Jesus. In the book of Job, and the book of Proverbs, we read that wisdom is above rubies in worth, talking of the personification of Jesus Christ. But there was no man. David? He killed Goliath, but he wasn't worth more than rubies. Not Job, not Samson, not any of these guys were worth more than rubies. So that's the first thing that struck me. And the second thing that struck me was Proverbs 31, verse 10. So I'm reading here as a young Christian, and it says, Who can find a virtuous uh, um, a woman for a price far above rubies? Excuse me. And then um, we read these words Her children raise up and call her blessed. And I don't know, how many of you have ever taken a portion of Scripture out of context? By mistake, not on purpose. I've done that a few times, with tears in my eyes. And I remember looking down at this and I thought to myself, oh no. I didn't think of the fact that when my mother enters the room, I could rise up and call her blessed. I thought, when do I rise up? I rise up when I get out of bed. So I'm supposed to praise her the whole day. And I thought to myself, oh, I got into condemnation. I said, sorry, God, and I I repented, and I got up, and I went to the eating table where there was hundreds of people at these different tables, and I was going to make up for this, and I went from table to table, and I was telling everybody, my mommy's wonderful, my mommy's wonderful, my mommy's wonderful, because I wanted to make up for all those years that I didn't the whole day tell people that. (laughs) You know, when I was a, a kid, I used to be rude to my mother at times believe it or not, and I used to get spankings, but I used to also try to compensate, so I would buy my mother flowers, I would make her pots of tea, and six cups of tea, and I would bring it to her, sometimes in the hope that I wasn't getting a spanking, and other times just because I wanted to make up, and I remember once she actually told me, Roy, I think you're unsaved, and I'm glad she did that to me, because though I testified in churches, and though I Witness to Muslims, and though I organized prayer meetings through the night, I had no relationship with God. I would read this Bible, and it was a dry book to me. And everybody thought I was this wonderful, young, on-fire Christian. But my mommy had the guts to say, I think you're unsaved. At any rate, I used to buy her flowers. Now, after I was saved, I would go around from town to town, preaching at schools and prisons and orphanages and all these things, and I had a problem. I don't know if you've ever faced with this problem before, but I didn't have anyone to give flowers to. And I literally had something like withdrawal symptoms, like we have when you don't have coffee for a while. And I was, I was driving from time to town, and I was like, who am I going to give flowers to? I, I feel there's something missing in my life. And I'm sure Americans don't have this problem. But at any rate, I, I looked around, and all the young women, I thought if I give them flowers, they'll think I like them, so I don't want that. And so eventually I found this lady, and she was the perfect a subject for my experiment or whatever, Uh, and and she was older, her children were almost out of school, and she had a born-again husband, and they were stable, I thought, I'm going to give her flowers, so I went in the shop and got the cheapest flowers I possibly could because I wasn't that dedicated, got in the car, drove out to the farm of these people and gave her these flowers, and I'll never forget it, this lady looked at me, And her husband, they stand out Christians. They go to church every Sunday, to the prayer meeting, to camps, you name it. Their children testify to being born again. And she looked at me and she said, Roy, this is the first time in seven years that anybody has given me flowers. I was amazed. And I'd like to tell you something today. Some of you might know my dad. My father and mother were wonderful. They were amazing, but they were not perfect. Not not perfect. My daddy, he used to give me spankings sometimes that I knew. Actually, my older brother did the deed, and then somehow convinced my dad that it was me. So there were times I got spankings my older brother should have got. And there was two ways I could react to this. I could say, oh, man. My dad's not perfect. He gives me spankings when it should have been my older brother. He doesn't deserve to be honored. That's my first choice. You know what my second choice was? I could say, you know, this makes up just a little bit, just a slight little bit for the many, many, many times that I wasn't caught. Now, that would be more accurate. (laughs) But, you know, my dad... Most of the time, he was so balanced, and he would take us out and give us ice cream and walk with us and play games with us and be such a wonderful dad. But occasionally, he did things that irritated me. I remember at public school, everybody was coming together for this big uh, grill or something like that, and my dad was convinced they'd all come dressed up almost like Amish people, uh, (coughs) except that they had a tie or something, and he got me in this very conservative, horrible clothing and... I remember going. I told Daddy, "Did I really think that they're not going to be dressed this way?" And my dad said, "Don't worry, son. I know how this works." (laughs) And I got there, and I was the only one teased by my friends for being dressed so terribly. You know, sometimes my dad would look. I was about to make up my bed, and I really—I was literally about to make up my bed. I don't know if you've ever had this with your parents. Parents are terrible when it comes to this. Uh, Maybe it's just mine. But, but literally, I was about to make up my bed. My hand was on the bed to make it up. My dad would come and say, hey, you haven't made up your bed yet. I'm sorry. And I would be, something in me would be like, Ugh, uh, don't you realize that I was about to make it up? Do you know how many young people rebel against their parents for little things like that? You know why my dad had the right to make mistakes like that? Because he was my daddy. I want to tell you, in closing, I'm going to bring some practical things. But before I bring these practical things, I'd like to mention a friend of mine that we talked about today, Glenn. But I didn't mention these things. He's a missionary to South America. His grandmother helped my dad through Bible college financially. She was married to an atheist. But Glenn was my best friend. I've named one of my children after him. When we were at Bible college together, he'd been in 12 schools before that. His father had been a preacher, but his father became a drunk, a Baptist preacher. He became a drunk and he ran away with other women and ran away from his mother. His mother, after this, ran away with other men. His two brothers, older brother, younger brother, became drunk partiers sleeping around. And he was the only one they went to Bible college. And I remember sitting here with this guy and I loved him. But it wasn't a small thing to him that his daddy was doing these evil things. And so he fasted for 21 days. And I remember late at night, I couldn't keep up with them, but late into the night, for hours at night after the studying and the practical and the lessons and and whatever else the Bible college expected you to do till 10 o'clock at night He would, for three hours, sometimes to one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, I would go there and fall asleep next to him as he was calling out to God for three weeks, God, bring my daddy back. Since then, all of his brothers have been radically saved. His father is still not saved about 20 years later. But I remember going to America to preach, and I came back. And this old godly lady walked up to me and she had tears in her eyes. Her name was Elsepy von Hastian. And Elsepy von Hastian, like I said, with tears in her eyes, walked up to me and she said, Roy, I want to tell you something that happened while you were gone. You know, Glenn, well, we had a conference. There was about a, only about 100 people at this prayer conference, and, 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 and different people were invited, and there was good preaching. But Glenn invited his daddy. And his daddy came, though he was a drunk. And his daddy sat next to him. And she said, we know that most of the people in that hall knew what that daddy had done to that family. Knew that he'd run away with other women. Knew that he'd got drunk and still was a drunkard. Knew that he'd ruined his children except for Glenn. They knew it. But Glenn sitting in that hall next to his daddy took his arm and put it around his daddy. And she said it was as if he was saying, I can't honor my daddy in most areas of life. But where I can, I'm still going to honor my daddy. Let me ask you a question. At what point of imperfection of your daddy getting irritated or making mistakes or your mother did you think you have the right just stop honoring them. Where you could. Where you could. Malachi 4 verse 6. The words of God before 400 years of silence. What does God say before 400 years of silence? He says in Malachi 4 verse 6. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And the heart of the children to the fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's what he said before Jesus came. It's not always easy. You have a child that doesn't love God or a wife that doesn't love God. You're Muslim and you you get saved, your wife leaves you because she stays a Muslim. We're living in a messed up world, but this is the heart of God. Now I'd like to be practical very fast before we end off. Just a few little points. Firstly, I've met young people, rebels in America, sat down with me, and other countries, but obviously, I'm thinking specifically of some, <laughs> and they've said what we heard earlier on that, tele, uh, on, uh, basically on that flight, that young person said, I only have to obey my parents when it's in the Bible. If it's, if, if, the, if the Bible says, thou shalt not lie, or you shall not steal, or commit adultery, or anything like that, and they can show it to me, then I must honor my parents, but If the Bible doesn't say it, if they tell me to make up my bed, or wash the dishes, or not go out at a certain time, or not have certain friends, no, don't have to honor them. (laughs) And I had one boy who was on drugs who sat down, and he quoted Ephesians 6 verse 1 in Pennsylvania to me, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's only when it's in the Lord, Roy. I said, well, Colossians 3 verse 20 says, obey your parents in all things. (laughs) That's pretty clear, unless it's against the Lord. (laughs) And then we have honoring versus obeying. The Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 23, "Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And I've met many young children and older people, but mostly young children who, teenagers and under, who, they actually will obey their parents. But then afterwards, I hear them speaking to their friends. My dad is this, my mom is this. Now, I've told you a few things about my dad. I've said that he told me to make up my bed (laughs) when I was about to make it up. But they go beyond this, and they basically say how evil their parents are. They dishonor their parents. And then there's people who, while they're washing the dishes, are complaining like crazy. (laughs) Little to us, but not little to God, I remember going to school, you know, I'm a bit like Paul. I have come to the end of the sermon, basically the last few things I'm going to say now, but Paul was amazing. He would say, finally, my brethren, and there were still two chapters to go. And then there was a second finally. I don't know if you know, some preachers do this. Finally, and then they actually just got to their third point. Paul was amazing with this. But I went to school, and I was preaching at different school, and this one school, it was a little school of 500 kids, I remember the, the teachers came to me, and they told me that this one child doesn't want to tell them why, but always causes problems. And not only that, all children cause problems. He will not do any work, any homework, any math. He just draws satanic signs on a piece of paper as a little eight-year-old and gives that in. And so I said, okay, I'll speak to this kid. And I sat down with the child, and he looked at me, and he was very, very bitter in his eyes. And after a few minutes, he started to weep. And he said, he'd never met me before, but he said, you know, I'm going to tell you something, but you must promise me first you won't tell anybody else. I said, kind of. <laughs> Depends what it is you're going to say. But he said to me, my daddy is a Satanist. My daddy beats me up. And he was just weeping. And he said, If I tell anybody what my daddy does, he will totally kill me. Now, If I look at a child like that and I say, by the way, the Bible says honor your parents. (laughs) The only thing I can tell that child, that child should probably be taken away from his parents. I don't like children taken away from their parents. Social workers do evil things for no reason in America. I hate it. Uh, but that child should probably be taken away from his parents. And the only area I could probably say to this child, you know where you can honor your parents? Because he's getting drunk, he's satanistic, and he basically wants to molest you all the time and things like that. The only place you can honor, area you can honor your daddy is by forgiving him. That's it. you know what really hurts me? And when I say hurt me, it hurts me. It doesn't just hurt me, it makes me weep. When I go across America and I go to conservative homes and I sit down with young people and I don't despise them, I don't hate them, I love them, I want to care for them, but some of them, they tell me why their parents are terrible. And when they do... I just realized they don't have any idea what they've got. I was in Utah. Actually, I shouldn't have mentioned the States. Excuse me, forget about that. But I was in in, in one of the states of America, and I was preaching at this one church, and the pastor had a child. I try to be careful not to mention things that you can link who it is, even if you go research. you know. And this little child was there, and I started to talk about honoring your parents in a conversation. His eyes went very big, like huge. And I looked at him because he was acting weirdly. And he came to me in a passage afterwards, and he took me by the hand. And he said, he was a teenager. He said to me, did someone tell you? I said, tell, you, tell me what? You don't know. Then why are we talking about that? I said, well, I just talked about it. He said, I, I hate my daddy and mommy. <laughs> I, I, I've run away from home. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from them again and again. My daddy is a terrible, terrible person. So being a little curious, which I suppose I shouldn't have been, I asked him, what has your daddy done that he's so terrible? He started to weep. Tears were rolling down his face. Now, he literally had run away from home. They had to get the police to find him somewhere on the street. And he's just weeping. (laughs) He said, my daddy... (laughs) My daddy asked me to make my bed every day. (laughs) And I was trying not to laugh. I really was. (laughs) Because, I mean, it was a big thing to him. I I care for him. I know he's crying. And and my mommy also wants me to go in the bathroom and wash myself every day. I don't know. <laughs> Such a sheltered life. <laughs> but do you know what I notice? Even though most Americans are not that extreme, so many conservative young, let's call them conservative young people, who have a parent who at least is trying to teach them the Bible, trying to discipline them, make mistakes sometimes, spank them at the wrong times, tell them to do things which they were going to do anyway, uh, tell them to make up their bed when they were anyway about to make up their bed, uh, sometimes forget what they promised them that they were going to be with them somewhere, and those children hate their parents, or at the very least they say, my parent does not have the right to be respected and honored like the Bible says. And like I said, I asked the question, do they know what they've got? You know, in South Africa, there's uh, various orphanages I've been to in special schools. There's little children in those special schools. They're two months old and they're sold to prostitution. Women, take these little baby boys. And French kissed them for money. I've seen more than once little children that you can hold up like this, five years old. They can't speak. They wipe through their skin and their body. You can hold them up like like jelly. They've got no strength. They just hang like this. And they've got not one genetic thing wrong with them. They did not have a disease. The only thing that is wrong with this child that it can hang like jelly and can never speak for its entire life is that it's an early few years of its life. Its parents so abused it that its body and stress started to eat itself. And I've seen more than one child like that. And then I sit down with children My daddy is so terrible. He gets irritated. Well, perhaps he is terrible, but not as terrible as you think. The Bible says, Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. I've come to the end of the sermon. I'd like to ask the questions again. Do you realize, I wonder how many children realize, and do we realize, what a privilege it is just to have, just to have a father and a mother that try a little. Second question, at what point of imperfection do you think that you have the right to not at least try to honor your parents where you can? And in South Africa, we have a lot of old age homes, nursing homes that are called, I'm sure in America too, forget me not. Why are they called forget me not? Because you go to those old nursing homes and their children sometimes down the street haven't seen them in five weeks, sometimes in years. And God cried out to those Pharisees, you hypocrites, Why? Nice dresses. You keep lots of traditions, but you don't care for your parents. You say it's Corbin. You don't provide for the parents who changed your diaper when you were a child. In fact, you like the rich young man who says, "Or well, the prodigal son, give me my inheritance now." Let's pray. Father, I just, I do thank you for the kindness that you gave me a daddy. That wasn't perfect, but he wasn't the druggie that he started out to be, the rebel on the street. You gave me a daddy who sang me to sleep at night. You gave me a daddy who taught me the Bible. You gave me a daddy who spanked me. You gave me a daddy who loved Jesus, who prayed and God answered his prayers that I knew there was a God even though I wasn't saved. You gave me a daddy that I sat in his meetings as a young person and I sensed the presence of God and I knew I had to deal with God. But my daddy wasn't perfect, but God, thank you for my daddy. And oh God, I pray for every person sitting here. I know, dear father, that everybody fails towards their parents at times, even if they're saved. But Father, if there's a spirit of rebellion, if it's their life, they're not saved or they totally backslidden. And Father, I just ask if there's anybody sitting here who needs to say sorry to their parents, that you would work in their hearts to go say sorry and make right. But above all, to make right with God Almighty through Jesus Christ, to be restored as a Christian or to be saved as an unsaved person. Father, as we go through this weekend, I ask that the devil will not pluck away the seed that was sown, but that you would continue to work in people's lives. We need thee, Father. We long for thee. We've seen thee work. I, I, I know of a daddy who was totally transformed when Jesus came. I know, dear Father, the drunkards who knelt down in one moment, they weren't drunk anymore. They were soul winners. They were prayer warriors. They were set free by Jesus Christ. We've seen it so many times. Oh, God. Will you not work yet, too? And let us be serious about the God in whose hand our breath is. Father, I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I'm not going to make an appeal tonight. But I'm going to ask if it's possible, do try to come tomorrow. And if by some chance you can't, pray. I really appreciate that. Must I give over to you or are we going to dismiss it? Maybe call somebody wants to for somebody. Mm-hmm. Amen. Let's so pray for the snacks. Good. Father, we just thank you so much for the snacks that we're going to have. And we thank you that you didn't just give us one type of food to eat, but you gave us so many different amazing things to eat. And uh, Father, we ask you to bless the food, but also at the same time, to bless the conversation afterwards. And and draw us closer to thee. Help us to be supernaturally natural in our relationship towards others and in our fellowship and talking. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Sorry.